Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. All right, welcome back to the Yahoo Sports NBA podcast. Glad you could join me this week, and we've got a terrific show lined up for you. Brian Scalabrini, the uh, former NBA player. He's a broadcaster with NBC Sports Boston, also analyst for us here at Yahoo Sports. He joins me. We only go through a couple of topics this week. We take a deep dive on two of them. We talk about the Celtics and their recent struggles, Boston struggling in the month of December. How do they get their defensive mojo back? How do they get their offense back on track? Scal and I go through that. And Isaiah Thomas, his return to Cleveland right around the corner. We talk about Isaiah's comments to ESPN on Christmas Day about his hip injury and maybe wishing he had more information before he played through it in the playoffs. Plus, what can we expect from Isaiah when he finally returns uh, to that lineup. That's it. All right, let's go. My guest this week is the great Brian Scalabrini. You see him on NBC Sports Boston. You can check him out over at Yahoo Sports NBA, NBA uh, Sirius XM Radio. He's everywhere. What's up, Scal? Chris, it's good to uh, talk to you over the podcast, even though I think I see you now more than I actually see my family <laughs> with all these games that we're, that we're doing. But uh, no, things are good, Chris. Yeah, happy holidays. You have uh, a good Christmas. Yeah, uh, I didn't. I thought I wasn't gonna like you know the whole five thirty start 
but it was fine. Like I, I woke up, we did the whole Christmas thing. We had the, mm. the, the nice breakfast. The kids were opening presents. I shoveled the driveway and then I still had enough time to work out and still get to the game. So I didn't, I didn't hate that 5:30 start. I tell you what I did hate last year. We were in New York for that noon start. I hated that because once the, you wake up, you're like up against it, but not, and did not mind the 5:30 start getting to the game and then, you know, enough work to see. A really good basketball game last night. I just thought that Washington, Washington maybe starting to turn the corner with the, their combination. We always wonder why Brad Beal and John Wall are not better. That's like they, I've done that for the last four years. I, it, they're going to be a tough team in the playoffs, no question about it. Yeah, yeah, they're just starting to get healthy, and that's good. I, I do like the difference between you and I that that you know you have a full day, shovel the driveway, hang with the kids, whatnot. I uh, I got up about one. <laughs> went, went, that is so great went to like, the gym i'm only envious of that because i had to be up at 5 30 because my kids woke up <laughs> went to the gym kind of sat around looked for some place that was open to serve food then came into the game and that was my christmas day that's both nice. awesome and sad i think simultaneously but yeah yeah but I, I think there are there's plenty of people out there that have to have a little bit of, they're a little envious of that. <laughs> I certainly hope so. Uh, all right, I digress there. We we were both at the uh, the Celtics Wizards game last night. Celtics lose again and it's been a rough last 10 11 games for this team. Uh the defensive juggernaut that we saw in the first month plus of the season that was number 1 in defensive rating during the first 26 games has slipped to 18 in the uh, 18th overall in the game since uh, the rebounding has kind of cratered. The turnovers are up. Uh, tell me your level of concern uh, for this Boston team right now. So, you know what I'm really concerned? So, I think when the season starts, and this is typical of the NBA, right? Everybody has putting in the work in the offseason. Everyone's about to have a really good year. And the reality is that coaches are, are experimenting, trying to find out what type of team they have. And it takes a while for them to say, you know, we're really good at this, and we not, we got to stop doing that because that's not working for us. So what's happening is I think the Celtics' defense at the very beginning was, as a shock to me, as a shock to everybody, was like far and away the best defense in the NBA. And I think the, the biggest thing was a lot of people were giving possessions to players who aren't weren't very good. And now we're starting to see like the, the, the cream is rising to the top. We're starting to see the best of the best get the ball in situations and control games. And, you know, la- a good example of that would be last night. You know, like John Wall and Brad Beal, like no one else is getting possessions on their team. They're all playing off of those two guys. When we played Indiana, like did Indiana at the beginning of the season know that Victor Oladipo is going to be as good as he is right now? And we're starting to see like throw so the balls in his hands and and like he blitzed the Celtics. So I, when I look at their defense. I think they're really good in some areas, right? And we're talk- we'll talk about they were number one, and now they're 18, so they had to be pretty bad since they broke the streak. But they really need to pr- improve right up the middle of the floor. Their, their high pick-and-roll defense has not been good, it, whether it's a guard getting downhill on a big or a guard just breaking the defense down, causing the big to collapse, and then guys crashing the boards. It's like... I think when the ball's on the side, I think they're good. When they, when it comes to guarding actions, I think they're good. But up the middle of the floor, they have a lot of room for improvement. And the idea for them is they, they make a conscientious effort to guard the three-point line. And they do a good job of that. You know, even when their defense is bad, they're still defending the three. But they're giving up more offensive rebounds because of it because guys are still, like, almost hugged up on the perimeter and not cracking back. The question is... 
is that enough to start making like changes, right? Because so many people in the NBA, they emphasize certain things and they overreact to certain things. Can this defensive style, with a little bit of practice because the games are coming at a rapid pace, can this defensive style get back on track just by improving a little bit and getting a little bit better up the middle? My guess is yes, it will happen. There is some slippage going on. But once again, the rapid fire of these games, they have no time to sit back and practice and emphasize what they need to. So I'm not too concerned about that, and I'm not concerned about the rebounding. I would just say, like, uh, I've been concerned from this, when the trade happened about this team offensively and all, all the trades that are happening and starting young guys. I've been concerned about that. I just wonder if they can get back on track with their shooting, you know, like they were like last season. I know it's a completely different team, but to win in this league and win consistently, you got to shoot 38 to 42% from three night in and night out. And they're just, they, they miss too many open shots for me right now. Yeah, I, I think some things are resolvable. Uh, I think the schedule has killed them and and taken away some of that practice time that that you're talking about to, to to work on things. I mean, they have got young guys that are playing key roles, and when these young guys make mistakes, instead of dealing with that at, at a practice, uh, they're dealing with it at walkthroughs and they're dealing yeah. with it at uh, film sessions. And I think there's a cost to doing something like that. I also think that, that this London game has screwed them up pretty cons- significantly because of that that compressed schedule and the fatigue uh, that ultimately comes with it. And I think Marcus Morris coming, coming back and getting his legs back under him is going to help them uh, as well. But I, I, I fear for this bench and its scoring ability because yeah. you know they, they've had to use a lot of their starters with that second unit. I mean, you go back to the Memphis game when they made that run in the fourth quarter, when Tatum and Horford were on the floor in that game, when and, and, and trying to get them back into the game, you know, you're relying effectively on Marcus Smart and his streaky shooting, Terry Rozier and his streaky shooting to give you offense off that bench, and that's, I mean, that's not high level playoff type of offensive production, and I think that's something that's a lingering concern. It's going to continue to be a concern until they can find somebody, whoever that is, via the buyout market or or a trade. I mean, we both know they're aggressively going after guys and trying to use that disabled player exception. But you know, the, the defense, I'm, I'm, I'm less worried about. I think they're more like the team that was number one than the team that's number 18, although probably yeah. somewhere closer to the middle. But the, the, the offensive firepower off that bench, guy, I think that's, that's a big problem that's going to keep being a problem unless they upgrade it. So uh, the, the question is... This is, and this is a really like big thing to put on Jason Tatum. But the way that Brad has been using him, taking him out of the game early, and then putting him back with the second unit, yeah, I think they want to develop him into being that guy. Like I think they want to develop him into the idea that on this unit, we want you to be more of a facilitator, playmaker, initiate offense. But it's like it's weird, right? Because when Jason Tatum was at Duke. The reason I didn't like absolutely adore this kid is because he was a really isolation scorer, had the ball in his hands a lot, took a lot of mid-range jump shots, like a lot of a lot of pull-ups. And then I've been like floored by the fact that when he's with the starters, he's so good at playing off the ball, you know, letting the game come to him and like he's really calm in that area. But now they want him to do more. My question for you, Chris, is like, do you think that that's the answer? Do you think the answer is Jason Tatum developing into a go-to guy and not necessarily 
that and I, and that's why I will always I'll never speak in the amount of shots. I'll talk about making basketball plays. And so does Jason Tatum need to be the guy that initiates offense and makes basketball plays for the second unit because that's what Brad has been trying and we see glimpses of it at times, but he also floats back into role player with that second unit and with Marcus and Terry, he sometimes he doesn't even get the ball on offense. So is that the answer versus the trade or buyout market? I, look, I, I think both can be true. Um, I, I think that if somebody like a Lou Williams or a Tyreek Evans or somebody along those lines winds up on the market, Boston would be foolish not to aggressively go after them. But I do like the idea of of Tatum with that second. He's got to find his footing there, and he's got to be yes. more uh, more proactive when he's out there with that team taking over games. I mean, we've seen him, Scout, with the, the starting five, you know, take over games down the stretch. I mean, Boston almost beat Washington because Tatum got it going there uh, in the fourth quarter. So, you know, he's capable uh, of asserting himself. And I thought Bradley Beal had a great comment after the game where Bradley, who's known him since, you know, their days in St. Louis, said he can be kind of too cool at times. He he can not kind of realize his own skill level and not be the, 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 I think he said, like Stone Cold Killer at the end of end of these games. I mean, it's asking a lot of a 19-year-old, sure. but I'd like to see that version of Jason Tatum come out. I think ultimately it will. He's just a little bit unsure of himself when he's with that second group. Yeah, so when that the end of the third, start of the fourth, right, I was sitting next to Abby Chin because we didn't have the game, so we're just kind of watching. And I said during that stretch, like that would have been a good stretch, a good stretch, not a great stretch, not a phenomenal stretch, but that would have been a good stretch for Kevin Durant, like during that little section yeah. where he went baseline fadeaway, pumping shot, came down, banged out a three, came down and transitioned around the back. I, I just, I just thought like, whoa, like I'm not, what, what is that for Jason Tatum when I'm saying if that was LeBron, if that was KD, if that was James Harden, I, I, I would compliment on it like, man, look how good these guys are. And Jason Tatum went through that stretch. So we, you have to, for the Celtics to get him to get to that point where he's the guy coming off and with that second unit. And the coaches have told me, like, we're, we want him to be aggressive. We want him to, like, be a guy who makes plays. We feel like there's room for growth in that area. So if that, if they're all saying that, it's just a matter of time before he starts to really get his rhythm. Sometimes when you give that responsibility to a young player, it's, it's hard for them. So far, at moments, he's handled it with flying colors, but other times you wonder, why not more of that? So that's something that you'll definitely keep an eye on. As far as like the buyout market and what they're looking for, I'm not sure that this se- they're looking at it from a small sample size of this season. I think they're looking at it as a buyout, get a guy, trade, get a guy, and then like factor that player on their team the following year. You give a guy 8.4 late in the in in the season. It's a full 8.4. Like if you right. there were some guy sitting on the street and you wanted to give him the 8.4, you can give him 8.4 for 2 days of work. It's not prorated 8.4 for the season. So you're like like there's not only are the Celtics aggressively looking, but agents are telling teams I want to be a part of this buyout market. I want to get bought out for this amount. I'll opt out of my contract, and I'm, I'm, I'll sign with the Celtics. Also, when that comes into play, whenever they come and do that, they'll get what they're allowed 120% raise the following year. So whoever they end up getting, I don't think it's all about this season. I think it's, 
I think it's also about next year. And I also think it's about accumulating assets and salary. Like right now, obviously the hot name that you're hearing out there is Anthony Davis. And that's always good. There's, these guys are always going to be linked. But right now, the Celtics would have a hard time trading for Anthony Davis. They would, If they wanted to keep their core together and just add in an Anthony Davis, which from all my understandings of what they've been talking about, they do, they wouldn't have enough salary to ship off to get an Anthony Davis. So adding a guy at 8.4, giving him 120% raise the following year would help them would help their cause. Plus Anthony Davis, I've, I've often said it would, it's going to take the greatest trade package in NBA history to go and get him. It just is. Yeah. I mean, if, why, if why do, why do, why do we keep that alive as media? Well, why, I don't like think it's, it's in I reality, honestly, it doesn't seem like it would happen. It's not, but like, you know what? It, it's, it's not the media because it is Boston, you know, uh, you know, Woj used the phrase, you know, staying vigilant. I would call it more like holding a vigil for like, you know, this, this guy. I mean, they, they, they want him and they've yeah. been in, in contact with, with that team. So with, with the Pelicans, but I look, they know in Boston too, that as long as the Pelicans are in the playoff mix, there's no shot at getting Anthony Davis. And as long as Davis is not grumbling, about uh, the state of the team, it's going to be difficult to extract him because he is under contract for effectively two and a half more years before he can opt out. And and the Pelicans just aren't going to deal a player like that unless they they feel like their backs are totally against the wall. And even if they are, they're going to ask for Tatum. They're going to ask for Brown. They're going to ask for the Lakers slash Kings, Kings pick. I mean, that's not going to be kind of one of those, you know, Patriots and 49ers, Jimmy Garoppolo make a phone call with 10 minutes before a trade deadline. That's going to be a, 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 a long protracted negotiation to get him out of there. Yeah. I, I think then if that's the case, then New Orleans is making a mistake because they have an opportunity now to, to ship off Davis and really like rebuild with young wings. That's, and that's like Andy Davis is unbelievable, but yeah. he only impacts winning to me at the highest level. And then when you're all set up on the perimeter and you got guards and you got shooting and you're all, I mean, you are set on the, at the point guard position, Andy Davis is an absolute monster and people would see it in the playoffs. But if you're not set in those other areas of your team or you don't have unbelievable culture, like all he's going to do is, is not allow you to get a big time pick moving forward. You're, you're, you're good enough to be right in that middle of the road and you're not, you're, you might make the playoffs in the Western Conference. You might not. But what if you're a seventh or an eighth seed in the Western Conference, you're going to get blasted by those two teams. And what does that do to you? I think, I think that they're making a mistake. Now, if they, if they had like assets lined up and they could start making moves for guys to fit in with Anthony Davis, and I don't think like my personal opinion, Demarcus Cousins is not that guy, but they went for him anyway, so they had they had to do it. Why they had to do it, I don't understand. But if they, if they can set up, if you have unbelievable players around him, like he becomes a monster. If he played, let's just I know it's Cleveland, right? But if he was on the Cavs, like they have a real chance to win. Like a like they have. Like they're almost leaning towards being the favorite against the Warriors, but with New Orleans, do you have a chance to even win a game against Golden State in the uh, in the in the playoffs? It's just I think the way the game is set now, the way it's called, the physicality on the ball with pick and roll. That's why you see so many guards shooting. That's why you see so much three point shooting is because of the way the game is called. Anthony Davis in this scenario is not a game changer unless you have. Like the top level talent at your at your wing and your point guard position. Yeah, and uh, look, I mean, 
the the situation with him with the Pelicans, the, their biggest problem is they don't. You got to to retain a guy like that in a market like that. Every draft pick you make, you have to hit on. You have no to question. have a guy that lands. That's why Utah, you know, that's why they've been able to stay afloat because they keep landing these the the Gobert's, the Hoods, the Donovan Mitchells yeah. uh, of this league. And, and the Pelicans at this point haven't done. Let me ask you quickly about you know the Celtics bench problems. One way they could be tweaked is with the uh, you know our. Good pal Gordon Hayward there walked out to the court, sure, and um, you know wished everybody Merry Christmas on Christmas Day. Walked under his own power; he's out of the walking boot. Uh, long way to go, but gut feeling: Does Gordon Hayward play this year? Yeah, my gut feeling is yes. And and like at the end of the day, so here's like the gruesome break. That's a non weight bearing bone. Like so, this like cross that off your list, right? Mm-hmm. So now he has uh severely 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 sprained ankle that and he has to get that thing right back to normal like a like a ligament that was cut or a a tendon that was severe and they had to put that back together so now he's just working on normal things right it's like like for take out the idea that his foot was turned sideways because that was based off a non-weight bearing bone that's healed and there's no issue with that i think the biggest thing is going to be what else happens from that? Like, that's the thing about injuries, right? If you, you sprain an ankle and now you're doing this rehab or you're, and you're walking and you're trying not to limp or you're in a boot for whatever, like there's a huge difference between that and playing in the NBA. So how he bridges the gap will be really interesting. But I will say this. No way. He's doing four to five hours a day of rehab. Of rehab, shooting, shooting in the chair, passing, weights, whatever it may be. Nobody's working out that much and without the intent of coming back. Yet the Celtics are, are saying, like, we are not expecting him to come back. My guess is Gordon Hayward comes back because he's just that type of guy. He's just, uh, he's, he's a freak of nature athletically and he's an incredibly hard worker. Like, when he's doing this, he's not shutting it down right now. If he was shutting it down, I'd say, okay, he's probably not going to play. But four to five hours a day of work, there's no way he doesn't try to come back. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I just wonder what he looks like when he comes back, what he can give. That'll be uh, real interesting to see. All right, let me ask you about the Isaiah Thomas, who is uh, set to come back at some point over the next couple of weeks. Uh, he's practicing with the Canton Charge. He's up and down, working out with the Cavaliers. The, the, the guess for most people is that that first week in January, which would put him on track to play in Boston when uh, he comes back for the first time. Uh, with the Cavaliers. He did an interview, Scal, with ESPN over Christmas. And and look, it was a lot of it was the usual stuff we've heard from Isaiah, but he also added that he, he didn't feel like he had enough information about the severity of this hip injury and the fallout uh, in terms of recovery time that could happen. He said during the interview, he said, I do wish I had more information. It was never, quote, this could be something that could possibly shut you down for a while, because if that were the case, I definitely wouldn't have played. He's talking about the playoffs, of course, uh, and, and what he wouldn't have played in. I don't know that he's necessarily blaming Boston for um, the, the problems he's dealing with right now, but what do you make of the the comments made by Isaiah? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know because like those are hard conversations to like put ourselves into. Like, were they telling him, "No, you're fine." Or were they telling him, well, there's nothing you can do about it now. After the season, you'll have surgery and you'll be fixed. So, like, I, like in, in one sense, I can see where he's coming from. In another sense, in the NBA nowadays, where 
For instance, Avery Bradley has a sore Achilles tendon and he misses 18 games. I have a hard time believing that they're going to like, they're forcing the issue to get him out there. I, I never, I never get the sense that the Celtics are like this win at all cost mentality as they're going through like this, this rebuild or whatever you want to call it. I, I just, I, I don't think that they're an organization that's like hanging by the moment of trying to win these playoff games. I think they've always kept sort of like this long-term approach. So when I think about Isaiah saying that, I think I'm more Isaiah saying, well, I want to play because like this is I'm like an MVP candidate. I'm like heading into a contract year. There is an opportunity, which I don't know if the Celtics would have went down this road or not. I have no idea what they would have done if they didn't get Gordon Hayward. But there was a renegotiate and extend opportunity there. So I'm not I'm not this is like a real sensitive subject that I'm not under I, I don't understand what he's saying or what was said behind closed doors. It doesn't really make sense to me when I think about the Celtic organization and what they're all about. But, you know, like I can see where Isaiah is coming from. They, I don't think they – if let's just say that he's somewhat telling the truth, right? We're not in those, those closed-door meetings, so we don't know. We don't have the imaging or whatever. Let's say he's telling the truth. I don't think it was uh, – we got to get Isaiah. We got to – Isaiah can help us get to the Eastern Conference Finals – and then we could ship him off out of here. I don't think that that was like their thinking at the time. No one knew that Kyrie was going to be available. So right. there's a lot of moving parts. It, what I think ultimately I feel really bad for Isaiah because, you know, like it's not like he's an other superstar that's heading into a contract year that's already made, you know, 110 million bucks. Like Isaiah has played for five and a half, six million dollars in the, like in his prime of his career. And now he's entering into free agency at 5'9 with a bum hip and, you know, like you wonder, like, how much is he really going to get in the open market where it was slotted, I think, for him to get like $130 million over five years. I wonder what that looks like now moving forward now that he's with the Cavs. So I can see how he f- felt a little bit slighted. But I also believe that during all this pushing and going to the playoffs and all that, there was the motivation of, you know, like cashing in as well. So it's partially Isaiah's fault. But the organization and those closed door meetings, it would be interesting to see, you know, what was really said during those meetings. Yeah, a few things. One, I understand Isaiah's frustration for, you know, throughout all this, for all the reasons you articulated. I mean, he was a top five player in the NBA last year, top five in the MVP voting. And if he had been fully healthy and a free agent in July of this past year, he would have gotten that kind of max level deal. Uh, that you're talking about now he's got a hip injury he's missing half the season he's on a new team everything he's worked for is up in the air uh, at this point to say to say the least but I I do have questions about whether you know it, it doesn't make any sense to me why Boston would push him to keep playing if they thought there was something this significant on the other end of it it just doesn't doesn't make sense I mean look deep down Boston knew they weren't on Cleveland's level last year they, they knew they yeah. were a good team they could get by a Washington, which they did. You know, getting out of the second round was the season. That that was it. And with or without Isaiah uh, being healthy, I don't think they were beating uh, the Cavaliers even as the one seed. And and with that information, and knowing, of course, you know Brad Stevens and and, and that whole staff, it, it's just it it strains credulity, I guess, to to that they would push him so hard if they knew that this was the outcome. Now, the question I have. And I've continued to have is why wasn't surgery performed like immediately? I know it's not the the, the end all be all, but the cure all. But the decision to rehab struck me as much as a tactical decision to get Isaiah maybe back on the floor quickly to get him ready 
uh, for a, a, a contract year, maybe on Isaiah's part, maybe on the Celtics part. I, I don't know because you're right. We didn't, nobody knew Kyrie was going to be available. No, no, there was no plan in Boston to trade Isaiah after the season. It was going to take a perfect deal uh, for Isaiah to be traded. I, I just, I would love to know with truth serum applied to everybody, whose decision it was not to have surgery. Why was that decision made? Uh, why did they have to wait basically until July 15th before they ruled out surgery? All these these timelines were, were just askew and didn't make a lot of sense to me. So that that part of it is more up in the air and questionable than the idea that the Celtics, um, you know, in any way, not I don't want to say misled because he's not really accusing them of that, but in any way didn't do due diligence to uh, get Isaiah the information needed for the playoffs. So then the, the, the real question is, or even if it's like, just give me a percentage, then who's to blame? Like, is it is it right down the middle, 50-50? Is Isaiah's just as fall as the Celtics? Is it 60-40? Is it one way or the other? I, that's where, like, clearly it doesn't seem like it was handled properly from both sides. But the why is what we all want to know, and I don't think yeah. we ever will know because – like you said, you know, truth serum and polygraph, like hook them up. Let's see what's up, which would be a tremendous show on TNT, by the way. If we could do that, then we would see, you know, what the real deal was. And if we had like, and there's, and I think all this is documented because that's what they do in medical nowadays, but it is really interesting to see how all of it unfolded and who is to blame for where they're at right now. I think the one lesson that I take away from the Isaiah Thomas situation is that players do not owe cities, fan bases, organizations anything. Because hundred percent, why know, do we, they think that? I don't understand. I don't why. know. I mean, it's it's sort of this reflexive thing where where fans immediately blame a player, like Kevin Durant. They blame a player for for walking away, and and then they get frustrated with the player if he if he doesn't go all out, you know, for for that team. Isaiah Thomas. You know, it was his choice. Ultimately, I put it all on Isaiah because it's all his choice. Like he knows what he's feeling, and he knows, um, you know, the the significance of of a hip injury. But you know, he laid it all on the line. He got hurt. He got traded. Now his career is kind of in flux. I, I don't blame a player ever for looking out for number one because this is their chance to, to earn a lot of money. And 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 Isaiah has his his money put in jeopardy to say to say the very least. I, yeah. I, all right, I want to ask you about. When Isaiah does come back, he was quoted recently uh, talking to local media saying, you know, basically he's completely out of rhythm. He has no feel for the game at this point. His comments were kind of funny because it wasn't the Isaiah that we're used to hearing from. It was just a guy that was, you know, based on his practices with the the Canton team, um, you know, just didn't feel like he had any feel for the game. As a player, how long does it take for that type of feel to come back? So it's so way different for me, Chris, like than it would be for a guy like Isaiah, right? Because Isaiah is ball in his hands. Like the millisecond decisions that he has to make is the difference. My guess is, so it, it really comes down to this. Like Isaiah is a freak of nature when it comes to athletically. He happens to be 5'9". Yes, he has great length, but he's a freak of nature when it comes to covering ground at his size. Now, that has to return to his ability. He doesn't. He does shoot over people randomly, but more than anything, he like beats guys to the rim and with speed and just unbelievable his ability to cover distance at his size. It's like it's something that you really can't even understand. But if that doesn't come back, if that athleticism doesn't come back, then I don't know how good he's going to be. But let's just say. He did all his due diligence. The hip is 
something that is not a factor. It, it factors in, let's say the hit factors in like 10 years down the road. It's never a factor. My guess is he'll get his rhythm back, I would say, in about a month of playing basketball. So once he's – and that's that's going hard. So like once he's in a rhythm of playing the Isaiah Thomas basketball, which is you know 90% or to a, to 100, that's how he has to play at 5'9". It's not like LeBron who can play 40% and be the MVP of the league. But Isaiah at 5'9", he has to go hard. Once he's at that ability where the hip is not an issue, he's not thinking about it, then he's about a month away, I think, from really, from us seeing the touch his watch IT time where it's shot after shot, you know, like bucket, turning the corner. But the benefit of being in Cleveland will will be that he could play a lot more off the ball with LeBron out there. And that's what you'll see. You'll see him as an off-the-ball player, a lot of dribble handoffs and stuff like that, as opposed to what we saw in Boston, which is initiating offense. What's the, I mean, a hip injury like that, where is the where is the impact? Is it going to be in terms of, of you know, guys bumping him? Is is there a concern with, you know, it reacting poorly to that? Is, with with his hip, is it going to affect his explosiveness? Where does where so, that hip injury factor in? I, I So my personal opinion is, you know where Isaiah is so good at this. Like if you ever watch him play or just picture him playing and he goes by a defender, you ever notice how he like takes like there's zero space between him and that defender when he goes by a guy. And not only that, sometimes when he goes by a defender, he actually takes up more of that space, right? Like he'll go by and then like get in front of the guy. So the guy literally can't move. That's where I'm really concerned about because that is all like hip strength and and lower body strength where you're sealing a guy off. Can he, you know, put the force against the ground to push that defender out of the way when he's when he's getting low and he uses shoulders to get by a guy? It's like he's the best I have ever seen at going shoulder to shoulder or shoulder to hit by a guy and then taking up the ground and then shooting a layup where the defender is just absolutely paralyzed by Isaiah's 5'9 body. It's just, I've never seen anything like that. That would be my biggest concern. Does he still have the leg strength to push himself and to push defenders out of the way when he gets low and he goes explosive right by a guy? And that, and that would be it. I don't know if when he's moving side to side because I think his body would be able to handle that. I just think the force of pushing into the ground and pushing into another NBA player, when they're pushing back as well, I wonder if the hip could, could hold that area, which that's what I, I'd most be looking at, right? Does he turn into just Isaiah Thomas, the jump shooter, or Isaiah Thomas, the clean drive closeout guy, or can he still you know, go by guys and seal them and, and make layups? That's where I'd, I'd, I'd want to watch the most. Tell you, it's going to be a very emotional night for Isaiah back in Boston because even though he's you know pissed at Danny Ainge, he's he's not pissed at the city of Boston, nor are the people in Boston pissed at him. He, they're going to be that's going to be a loud ovation scale for Isaiah when he comes back. And it should be. It really should be. I, I I'm not. I I think the people of Boston still love Isaiah, and I don't like the people that name call Isaiah or like forget him. We got Kyrie now. I am not about oh, that. I will always. Like go back and say, I don't think our organization is anywhere near what is where it's at right now. If it wasn't for Isaiah, yeah, everybody had their their level of responsibility from Danny to Brad, but on the court, Isaiah Thomas was as responsible as anybody for one of the great turnarounds uh, in recent memory. Uh, Scal, man, I know it was only a couple of topics, but I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, joining me here. 
You got it, Chris. We'll talk later. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Brian Scalabrini for joining the show. As always, you can download archived episodes on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, post a comment, leave a rating. You know I appreciate it. And I'll see you next week. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.